Welcome to the Feed Weekly, where we take a fresh look at New Zealand's most important food stories. Proudly brought to you by AUT, Plant and Food and Beef and Lamb New Zealand. Don't forget to join us at thefeed.co.nz and now for a bite. Thank you so much, Georgina, for joining us on The Feed. Thank you for having me, Vincent. I'm uh, super, super excited to be here and uh, really looking forward to talking some ultra protein with you today. Uh, oh, good. Excellent. Um, I think that uh, alt protein is such a kind of amorphous category of technology and food. We haven't really fully unpacked it, but we're talking today about cultured meat, cultured protein, sometimes called lab-based protein. Can you describe these? I think there are three, but can you describe the three or the categories of alt proteins that are emerging? Sure. Um, I guess it's easiest to start with the one that people are probably most comfortable and most familiar with, and that's your plant-based alt protein. So that's exactly as it sounds. It's protein derived from plants. Hmm. Um, and a lot of people think of the Impossible Burger as being something a little bit more fancy than it is. It's actually just a plant-based burger. Hmm. Um, so it's derived from soy and potato protein. Um, in New Zealand, we've got a company called Sunfed Foods, and they produce uh, chicken and meat from um, pulses, so peas and beans and that kind of thing. Mm. So um, that's your plant-based. Very, I think, pretty easy to, to grasp what, where, where they're coming from. Um, next, then, you've got your fermentation foods. So, so fermentation foods are um, foods or beverages that are produced through really tightly controlled microbial growth. And again, um, it sounds maybe a little bit intimidating, but ferment, fermented foods are ones that we're all really familiar with. And probably some of our favorite foods are fermented foods like yeah. cheese and wine made from lactic acid bacteria, um, bread and beer. Uh, yeast derives, um, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, usually used for that. And then getting more into those um, meat and um, alternatives, things like corn, um, which are made from the mycelium of fungi. So that's um, fermentation. And I guess um, taking it a little bit further, you um, get into precision fermentation. And that's where we use microbes as I guess the easiest way to explain it is that we use them as little factories to produce something that um, that we want, mm. so some specific ingredient. And I already mentioned the Impossible Burger, which is plant-based, but th- what makes the Impossible Burger so special is it almost looks like it's bleeding. Mm. And that how that is, is actually um, made is through uh, heme, and that heme is made um, through precision fermentation. Um, so that protein is actually made by microbes, and then they add it to the plant-based materials to get you that nice... Um, real burger-looking um, texture and colour. Heme um, is a molecule related to haemoglobin, which is uh, the oxygen-carrying molecule in blood, right? Blood, that's right, exactly. Yeah, so that's mm. why it looks like it's um, it looks like it's bleeding the the Impossible Burger, and that was the big challenge that um, that company gave themselves when they said they wanted to make a plant-based burger that bled and that's that was um the molecule that they are the, the compound that they chose was heme mm. um in australia there's a company called nourish foods and they're using uh, precision fermentation to make tailored fats um so there's a lot of um interest in fermented foods and and, and um precision fermentation um happening at the minute i would say so that's fermentation and i suppose we get that as you say we're familiar with beer and um 
you know, cheeses and yogurts and so on, which yep. all kind of related to fermented food, been doing it for centuries, if not mm-hmm. millennium. The third category is what you're interested in, which is right. what is we more typically call cultured protein or lab-based. Can you explain what that is? Yes. So, um, yeah, you've you've hit the nail on the head there. There are a lot of different names used to describe um, cultured meat, clean meat, in vitro meat. Um, the technology, I guess, is called cellular agriculture. And in terms of meat, um, that's essentially where we take cells from an organism, whether that be um, you know, a cow or a pig. Um, in my in my case, I'm really interested in fin fish. We take mm. a cell from those. We give we give that cell all the nutritional and environmental conditions it needs to um, self renew and replicate outside of the host, and then using those cells and other building blocks, we can actually restructure and put those building blocks together to make a piece of meat, and that's a, the, the bare bones of what cellular agriculture is. The change, I suppose, that we're looking at there is we're not emulating other protein. We're taking real protein and ex- amplifying it or accelerating it on some sort of structure, right? A, um, exactly. you know, a, a culture, right? So does that make it a, from a nutritional point of view and from a, a, I suppose, yeah, from a nutrition and from a diet point of view, would make it a more compelling product? That's a really good question. So from, I guess, a compositional point of view in terms of your macro and micronutrients, you could have a plant-based or a fermentation product that can mimic exactly the uh, nutritional composition of a piece of meat. You could have the same carbohydrate, protein, fat content. Um, but I guess the, the difference with uh, cellular agriculture products is that they're not a substitute. They're actually meat yes they're essentially the exact same as what you find in a a burger or a piece of steak or fish fillet that you will buy in the supermarket it's Mm. the exact same building blocks that we're using so that's how i like to think about it is that it's not a substitute it's the same Mm. it's the same thing essentially just Mm. made in a slightly different way Without all the environmental consequences of land use, water use, emissions, and so on. So that sounds wonderful at one level. To what extent do do those environmental factors affect the quality and the experience of the meat? You know, we we often, uh, yeah, no, I'll just leave it at that. To what what extent uh, is a living, breathing organism that's exposed to air and soil, is that going to affect the quality and the experience of the product? Hmm. That's a good question. And it's kind of challenging me to think about it in a very different way than I normally would. So thank (laughs) you for that. Um, Yeah. I mean, when we think about the way meat is, is made um, and I'm, I'm thinking specifically that really intensive farming, um, there's a lot of, you know, use of hormones and, um, squashing these animals in, getting as much out of them and as many uh, animals as we can. So possibly culturing our meat in the in the conventional sense, uh, we're not actually getting the best out of our meat doing it that way mm. anyway. Mm. Um, and you can see that like even in the in the um, in the seafood space, um, there's a definite, you know, 
difference, point of difference when you are selling wild salmon. Um, particularly, you know, back in Europe, that was a, that was a big thing growing up was this, the idea of this wild salmon having this superior, um, composition. Mm. Um, so it's a good question around, uh, whether these, these cell based products will actually be better or worse. And I think the, I think the answer there is, is, the joy of these products is eventually when we have all the tech developed is we will be able to tailor them whatever way you want. If you wanted something that was really high in omega-3s, for example, we can tailor these products to do mm. that. Um, and I think that's going to be something very exciting that comes out of this field is this whole idea of tailored nutrition. I think you better explain to us how it actually works. So could you describe to us for us lay people, because we're not biochemists <laughs> and, um, and or cell biologists, can, can you describe how you might extract uh, a cell from a living being yeah. and, sure. and grow it uh, on a, in, into an actual muscle or a piece of flesh? Sure. So, um, for us, we work with finfish. So we're working with two species, um, snapper and chinook salmon. And the process starts by us taking a muscle biopsy from the fish. We take that piece of muscle into the lab and we can dissociate that piece into um, individual cells. We can then take those cells and put them into, um, we call it a tissue culture flask. It's essentially um, just a little clear bottle almost. Mm -hmm. We can put the cells in there and then we give them a media that's um, got everything that that cell needs, um, fats, carbohydrates, everything that that cell needs, everything that we need, the cells are going to need. Mm. So they sell, those cells will keep proliferating and replicating over time. And I, the ideal situation is that you want those cells to stay in that self-renewing state for as long as, as they can. And in the fish cell space, one of the beauties of doing this kind of research with fish cells is that they're known to spontaneously immortalize. And essentially what that means is they never stop replicating outside <laughs> in, in the lab. They just keep going and going and going. Wow. Whereas with mammalian cells, they will eventually stop replicating mm -hmm. in, in the lab. They hit what's called the Hayflick limit and they stop replicating. Fish don't do that for some reason. It's not really known why that happens. So they continue to replicate. And then we want to be able to give those cells a signal and say, hey, it's time for you to start forming some nice long muscle fibers. And essentially what happens is the individual cells start to fuse together and they form these long striated muscle fibers, exactly the same as what you would have in your own muscle, <laughs> essentially. Mm. Mm. So that's kind of the the, the very basic um, fundamental part of, of getting the cells out and growing. The more complex part starts when we want to restructure them into a three-dimensional piece of meat. The cells need something to attach to. So you mentioned earlier a scaffold. So a scaffold needs to be biocompatible. The cells need to accept it. They need to attach to it. They need to be yeah. able to migrate through it. But they also need to be able to make these fibres to mimic the texture of what we we know and love in our in our fish fillets and our meat products. And that's challenging. They're still, you know, grasping and grappling with that in the tissue engineering field. So um, 
that that part of the technology is is still developing. Mm. The next evolution for evolution is the wrong word. The next stage of growth from mere tissue is to become an organ or part of an organism. The complexity yep. that that organism or even an organ might have in terms of feedback, um, uh, relationships between different cells to each other. Do you need to replicate that complexity, that ecosystem, uh, the, the kind of the organ and organism complexity? So in with with muscle, um, while there are a huge number of cell types in a, in a piece of muscle, um, we particularly with fish, we don't worry about um things like uh, blood vessels or nerves and whether that will actually come back to bite us um, because we haven't there they may mm. actually be adding something to the texture the taste of the fish that we don't actually realize right now mm. um, but for the most part we can get away with having those skeletal muscle fibers they make up a, the majority of a piece of, of fish meat mm. um, and in in oily fish fat um, there's a third cell type um, that is responsible for kind of generating the components of the connective tissue uh, in fish. So they would probably be very important for that um, flakiness that we know mm-hmm. um, associated mm-hmm. with fish. So they're the three kind of key cell types that um, most um, most research in the cellular agriculture space is, is dealing with right now. And and this is your work is in fish, but this is also mm-hmm. being done in uh, in beef and in right. other types of um, meat, uh, is right. the same. Uh, can it be done with milk and other um, kind of natural fluids? Yeah, so a lot of that work is being done kind of with your per- uh, precision fermentation type um, things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So Perfect Day Foods are a really good example. They're making a lot of dairy products through precision fermentation. I know there's a um, there's a startup um, Turtle Tree Labs they're called and they're looking at developing um, cell lines to produce breast milk, um, which is a really interesting and novel use of cell mm. lines. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as we as we kind of move through this technology, we're going to see start seeing more and more interesting ways in which people are going to be using cell lines for really outside the box thinking. Is this a race? Uh, you know, is this a, a little bit like um, I don't know the way that we've seen America and particularly Silicon Valley has completely dominated the IT space? Mm-hmm. Are we going to see a similar kind of dominance? You know, once you crack this, you then own the IP and you get the kind of first mover advantage, or or is it a more distributed experience? Um. Personally, I think in the seafood space anyway, there's such a huge variety of species to consider. (laughs) And that makes it um, just an amazing opportunity because there's so many different things and different species and different ways of restructuring um, different textures that we need to to work with um, that it makes it quite, uh, quite an open um, playing mm. field, I guess. Mm. Uh, in in the more terrestrial space, um, it seems to me that you know there are heirloom species that people are are quite interested in. Um, it's a little bit more closed, I think. I think it's a little bit more closed. Mm, so interesting. Um, uh, talking with one of your colleagues, um, Susie Black uh, and Damien Moran, we talked about the possibility of eventually kind of harvesting and growing native 
species, whether particularly we were talking about fish, right? But um, this is actually a, a, quite an interesting spin on it because currently na- native fish and and other native fauna are not available for us to to eat. Well, actually, that's not entirely true. We do eat, but we don't typically farm native animals. Is this open? Does the kind of the unique, um, you know, flora and fauna of New Zealand provide an opportunity here? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, New Zealand has a, has a reputation overseas as being, you know, a safe um, producer of really good quality, high quality food. Um, and we have got a wealth of species here that I think the world would love to get exposure to. Mm. Um, and I would like to add as well, Vincent, that, you know, I'm, I'm talking about this work in the context of cellular agriculture and making meat in the lab. Having cell lines derived from our native species, the applications go way beyond just making meat. You know, in, in situations where we've got vulnerable populations of cells or populations of, of um, native species, or they may not even be vulnerable, but if a disease comes in and makes them vulnerable, having a cell line available mm. and ready from those species where we can use it wow. to investigate these infectious diseases is, you know, it's it will be so important. Um, so I think there's a real good case for developing almost a biobank of cell lines from huh. New Zealand species. I'd never thought of it like that. So it's the mm. kind of cell equivalent of a, of a seed bank. That's what you're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's so interesting. Uh, I can see why you would be interested, but how does, how does an, uh, a, a nice person from Ireland, by the sound of it, get interested in New Zealand, <laughs> in New Zealand science? What was your journey into this? Well, I, um, I was always really, really interested in biological systems. Um, from as early as I can remember, I was keen on it. Um, and while I'd love to, to, to say that I grew up by the ocean and it was a big part of my childhood. I lived in a landlocked county back in Ireland. Um, I saw the ocean maybe once, twice a year. Um, <laughs> so when I, when I went to university, I ended up studying microbiology and I had a real interest in food and microbiology. And at that time, there was a lot of research happening around probiotics and prebiotics. Um, and I ended up in a group actually that were looking at, um, in, in uh, infectious disease, foodborne infectious diseases. And I ended up staying in that field. I, I did my PhD there and my postdoc there. Um, and I ended up working down at the University of Otago um, with Keith Ireton, um, looking at host pathogen interactions um, with Listeria monocytogenes. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with that bug, but if you have ever um, been have around... Have I caught pregnant... it, possibly? <laughs> no, um, probably probably not. But uh, if you've ever been around a pregnant woman who has told you she can't eat this and she can't eat that, it's because of that bug, because it can be quite quite dangerous for the, for the unborn mm-hmm. baby. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of work on that um, bug and understanding the interactions between that bug and the host human cell. And I was fascinated by how it was hijacking the host cell machinery and using it and um, mm. uncovering the molecular mechanisms and the signaling pathways it was exploiting. And that's kind of, I think, where my passion for cell biology was really ignited. And then when I joined Plant and Food, um, I ended up working on a project with Damien Moran, who you just mentioned. Um, he was very interested in, in um, 
fish food, essentially. And Damien asked me if I could uh, make a cell line from the gut of fish that we could use as a model outside of the fish. I had not cultured fish cells before, but I was definitely up for the challenge. And from there, it is just um, snowballed um, with planted food support. We've established um, a dedicated fish cell biology lab. Mm. Um, we have the marine cell technologies team that is really, um, really keen to develop New Zealand's um, fish cell capability. Uh, we've been making collaborations internationally with people from all walks of life. Um, so it's been just a fantastic journey to get here um mm. and it's been so enjoyable and really exciting <laughs> really really ba- exciting oh, that's great and you're based in nelson that's right yeah, yeah. so right by the sea i've never right spent as much time by the sea in my life before so <laughs> and the field that you're in does feel very mm. exciting doesn't it the promise of yeah. of um this kind of alt protein and in particular cultured protein does feel very exciting do you feel like you're at the beginning of something you know can you imagine this as an industry is is only emerging right so what's going to happen next it's so exciting Vincent it's just an the movement internationally is incredible to watch so um I guess for us this this started with um an MBIE smart idea uh grant really to initiate cellular agriculture of seafood in New Zealand And at that time, when we got the grant, the prototypes that were um, coming out overseas were unimpressive, I would say. Um, They didn't look very appetizing. um, And anyone that we showed them to was a bit, you know, not just not impressed. But, you know, two years later, the prototypes that are out there are phenomenal in Hmm. the seafood space. Um, And for anyone... Uh, listening, I would recommend Googling wild type foods and just looking at their salmon prototype, their sashimi prototype. It is phenomenal. Um, Sorry, just say that name again, wild type. Wild type foods. Okay. Yeah. Well, ha- well worth a look. I should have asked earlier, have you tried the the, um, the salmon or the snapper that you're growing? No, we're we're still very much at the early fundamental stages of, of our research. So we haven't been able to um, generate prototypes just yet. Hmm. Um, we've got a PhD student, Haley Stent, working at the University of Otago with um, Associate Professor Lynn Wise. And Haley is working on our scaffolds right now. Um, so we're hoping by the end of the year we'll have a, a wee prototype. Um, I don't think we'll be able to cut it into too many pieces for, for people to try, though. <laughs> uh, well, we look forward to the reports on it. But back to wild type. Have you, so this is now reaching commercial stage but it sounds possible um so in terms of cellular agriculture products you can buy um there's only one place in the world that is regulated for it and that's singapore so you can buy chicken nuggets it's in singapore 23 dollars per nugget i think um but nowhere else in the world is regulated for it um so you can't buy it anywhere else um a big challenge with getting this technology to market is scale-up. Um, the cost involved in scale-up is is huge. Um, some of the tech isn't even developed yet. So um, I was reading there that a, a 200,000 litre bioreactor is what's needed for, you know, really bringing this, this technology to the scale it's, le- it's needed. And those bioreactors don't actually exist yet. <laughs> so, um, and it, I think as well, you know, 
some some of the terrestrial meat companies have moved to pilot scale and they're producing at um you know greater uh, volumes than previously but in the cell in the fish cell space the you know the key players in the field blue and aloo wild type they're just starting on their pilot scale production mm. level mm. so i don't think anyone in the world is at full scale level just yet um and i think it might be a wee while away till we're buying a, a countdown Technologists have written off the ag sector as um, a sunset industry, and there is that Rethink X report that talks about the, the disruption of the cow being similar to, you know, what the telephone did to the telegraph and and what the car did to the horse. Do you share that uh, either sense of pessimism or optimism, depending on which side yeah. of the fence you are? Are we about to see the death of agriculture as a result of this industry? I don't. I don't think so. Um, I think there's always going to be a demand for traditionally farmed animals. Um, I think this this technology, particularly New Zealand, because we've got such a rich history with primary industries, I think we should we should look at this as an opportunity to really diversify our pro- our product portfolios mm. um, and. Like I said, I think there's always going to be a demand for for wild and traditional farmed animals. And it may actually be that this kind of technology increases the value of that traditional farming way. Um, You know, we've spoken to a lot of industries, a lot of seafood industries here, and they've all been really, really positive about the technology, really interested in the technology. Um, I don't think any of them have been very against it or very, um, how shall I say, worried by it. I think they see it as an opportunity, which is, Mm. I think, how we should see it is a Mm. real opportunity for for New Zealand. So where are we at now, uh, 2022? Uh, Sketch out for us what's going to happen in the next few years, particularly for New Zealand, right, as an industry. We hit the the conference that um, I was generously invited to as an observer. Um, and that was the first conference of its kind, right, for, That's right. for your sector. And That's I was right. amazed that uh, two things, how, how young everybody, all the scientists are young, right? Like how, how old are you, Georgina? Um, I'm 39. <laughs> right. Okay. So uh, you qualify as a young person in my book. But everyone in that call was quite young um, yep. and and mostly women which was kind of interesting. Um, I have also so it, noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> so it does feel like an industry that's emerging and is quite mm. new. So what, what's going to happen in the next couple of years? What should we keep an eye out on? Um, I think for New Zealand, uh, international partnerships are going to be vital. Um, I think we've got a lot of really, really bright, intelligent um enthusiastic people here that can do a lot with this technology. Um, and like you said, you know, that that symposium we had was the first of its kind in New Zealand. Mm. Um, and maybe that's, you know, there's been a bit of he- hesitancy in bringing this kind of technology to the fore in New Zealand because of how it may be perceived. And it's very important to us that it's, that it's shared in, a, in, a, in an appropriate way. So that people understand what we're trying to do, um, what it's going to look like for New Zealand. 
it depends on those international collaborations is what I would mm-hmm. say. It mm-hmm. really depends on those. I mean, for us to scale up to the level even that uh, some of the companies are in the States and um, in Singapore, there's a lot of investment would need to happen. Um, so mm. it may be that we develop um, some technologies here, particularly some cell lines from from our species, like we spoke about earlier, and maybe use um, facilities internationally to make these make these products, but that they are New Zealand products. Yeah, yeah. Something. I wonder if we're at the stage of growth where we were with computers, where you needed a, a mainframe that was the size of a you know the, the floor <laughs> yes. of a whole building <laughs> to do anything, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> It does seem seem to have some comparisons. Look, it's lovely talking to you, and we would love to stay in touch. So um, how do we find out about your work? Do you publish anywhere that uh, normal people could could read? Yep. So um, the Plant and Food um, Research uh, website is always a good place to go to keep up to date with what's happening, um, both with my work and um, my colleagues. Um we're trying to do more more outreach with the media and to get to get our work out there. Um, mm. It can be um, having events like the symposium are always great to get our research out there. Mm. Um, yeah. So and you know, getting to chat with you, Vincent, has been awesome. Um, I know you've got a big listener base, so um, hopefully people will have a better understanding of what we're trying to do. It's absolutely huge. My my mum <laughs> listens to it, and sometimes my children. The um, most important people. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Nice talking to you and we'll talk again. Georgina Stout from Plant and Food. Thanks.